0: Um, as, I was, um, as I've was, as i been praying this morning and as I've been sitting here, I just want to let you know what I really feel from the Lord is He wants to love you through this message. That God's compassion is for us. He has a heart of compassion. And I just want to set us up. I want you to know that um, this morning He has a message of encouragement and of love for you. And we're going to talk about some places and situations where it doesn't feel very loving, but the heart of God is that He deeply cares for you. I felt today, as I was sitting here, that actually that God wants to say thank you for coming this morning. I want to thank you. I, I like you, but I felt like God was saying He wants to thank you for being here today. And. Some people won't know. Some of you, it's really hard for you to be here today. Some people won't know what it cost you to be here this morning. And I just felt like the Lord is saying, I see that and I'm thankful that you got here, that you made the effort, whatever it is that's been difficult for you to get here today. And I also wanted to say, as a church, as a family, let's be kind to one another because we don't know what it costs somebody to be here on a Sunday morning, and so let's let's embrace one another in that way. Um, so, in 1991, uh, July of 1991, I was born. No, that's not true. <laughs> Sorry, you should tell the truth. I'm preaching. Uh, in July of 1991, uh, Jordan and I were married, and. Um, After six years of living in the San Francisco Bay Area, because we went to school in that area, uh, we graduated from Stanford together, we met at Stanford. Um, uh, We had a really close-knit community uh, of college friends and church friends. But Jordan had the sense and prayer that he was supposed to get out of the area. It was pretty clear and it became even clearer because like a week after that, he got a, a letter saying he got a full ride to go to grad school at the University of Chicago in political science. So we took that as a sign, that affirmative that we actually needed to leave. So we, went out, we got married in July, we went on a honeymoon, we came back and lived in my Mountain View apartment for three weeks, and then we loaded up a U-Haul truck with our three-legged cat, Simone, and we drove to Chicago. We have a lot of interesting animals. Um, and, and so Jordan has talked many times about our time in Chicago, but you haven't gotten, gotten to hear my version of it. So. Um, So welcome to exile in Chicago. So previous to that, I would say I really had very little idea of what it would be like to be displaced, to be out of you know, my comfort zone because I'm fairly comfortable in a lot of places. Uh, and also, life had been fairly good to me. I, mean, I was raised in an upper middle class family. Um, I I was born on the right side of the tracks. Jordan was born on the wrong side of the tracks. Um, So uh, when we moved to Chicago, however, I learned very quickly what it was like to feel displaced. And I'm going to give you a couple uh, snapshots of that. I'll try not to drag you through the mud too much. But first of all, it was scary. Like the first words that we heard, we got out of our our U-Haul truck. We, We pulled up to a... Oh, wait, there's a picture of, oh, that's Jordan. He's, he's trying to figure out how to get to where we're going. He's very uncomfortable. He has to read a map. I don't think he asked for directions. So the first words that someone said to us, we got out of our U-Haul truck, and we were at next to this Catholic like, ministry house, and the priest kind of turns to us, and he mutters outside in his yard, and he says, there are some sick people around here. That's the first words we heard when we landed in Hyde Park. Somebody had pulled up all his flowers or something like that, just for fun. Um, Our first night eating in a pizza joint, for the first time I saw someone run out of the restaurant and not pay their bill, and saw a cop like dive and tackle him. Like that was exciting. Um, I learned how not to smile and look at people on the street. Because if you do, you'll get racial slurs, you'll get come-ons. So I learned that you can't do that. Um, I was once pushed off the sidewalk by a bunch of high school girls, like walking down the street, you know? And I just, they just pushed me off the sidewalk. Um, I I used to carry pepper spray, mostly for my dog, in case he got in a, a dog thing. But we also used the club. Does anybody know what the club is? All right, do people use the club here? Seriously? You use the club here, Sandy? Yeah. Oh, okay, all right. But, like, I was shocked I'd never used it. You put it on your steering wheel so nobody can steal your car. Every day, we had I put the club on. I just, so, so shocked. Now, environmentally, I felt very displaced because it was cold. I mean, it was cold. I'm not talking like 60 degrees. We were cold, right? This is like I learned how to scrape the ice off my windshield, my freezing hands, then get into my freezing car. Oh, and it was dark, like at 3.30 in the winter, I'm walking home and I'm racing, racing the sun, because it's getting dark. Oh. I'm mean, at, at the University of Chicago, they had a slogan that they wore very proudly. It was this, hell does freeze over. <laughs> now, relationally, I felt pretty displaced. Um, uh, you know, we came from a super tight-knit, supportive group of, of friends. Well, we show up in Chicago and it's just Jordan and me. We don't have any relationships. We don't have a church. It's just him and me and if you guys know Jordan, some of you know Jordan, some of you know me, some of you don't know us so well, but, but this is what we're like. It's like Clint Eastwood meets uh, what's her name? Julie Andrews, <laughs> right? So we're starting out our marriage, and we have some relational things to tackle coming up. It's—I mean—we're very much in love. It's you know very very exciting, but we don't know what we're going to start to feel like aliens in certain ways pretty soon. Uh, when we landed on campus, we asked a, a campus ministry worker, "Like, Where's, where where do people go to church?" And he laughed at us. Because there weren't any living, viable churches in the neighborhood. We ended up uh, um, driving north 45 minutes to Evanston, which is on the shore, uh, up to, um, it's a nice part of town. And I was so desperate to be long somewhere where I felt good, I signed us up for the worship team auditions right after church. That was our first marriage argument. Um, Financially, I felt pretty displaced. Uh, you know, you're a couple, you're supposed to do this on your own. So, you know, Jordan had a stipend, which was good, but I needed to get a job. It was, it was a new experience for me, and we didn't want to rely on you know, my, our parents and things like that. You know, this is a confession, it was hard for me to learn how to buy generic groceries, like generic labels, like really? I can't buy Del Monte, or you know, I got to buy the white one with just the, print. You know, that was hard for me, just out of my experience. Um, it depressed me. I couldn't go out and just buy curtains or rugs. I learned, however, to be an excellent dumpster diver. I had many fantastic pieces of furniture that I pulled out of the garbage and disinfected. I had this amazing rug that I pulled um, out of our alley in Chicago and I made sure there wasn't like anything really bad on it. Um, it served us a long time. Got a lot of people, a lot of people got prayer on that rug. Um, it's true, no, 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 like in a good way, like it was a blessed rug. It wasn't like, I'm stepping your rug and now I need prayer. It was like, you know. Um, Career wise, I also was pretty out, felt like an alien. So I had graduated from Stanford with really marketable degrees. I have a degree in music performance and English. I was nothing but potential. <laughs> now thankfully, my husband was enrolled in a super elite program that was sure to get him an academic job, right? Some of you know that story, that didn't work out quite the way we thought it would. So whoa, I just might need counseling for telling you that whole thing. Maybe we should just, can we just, can we just move to prayer? No, no, okay, it does get better, it really does get better. Um, So, I'd like you to just take a minute and I want to find out from you, turn to someone next to you and is there some way in one of those areas where you have felt at some point or maybe right now in your life where you feel a little alien, like you you don't feel at home, you're missing something or you have a longing, something... um, Here's a little example, i just say, so a lot of you know my daughter Johanna, she's a, a cross country runner. I'm gonna put a plug in, HBA Eagles girls won first place second division yesterday in States, yes. Now she has, uh, she's an amazing person, but she's struggled with some injuries. For her to be uh, displaced means she's not running. She's in the gym, she's gotta be on that treadmill. She hates running on the treadmill. She wants to be on the road, but when you're injured, it's a very displaced, sort of situation. Uh, maybe for some of you, you, might feel like you're stuck in your body, like, like you've got a, an illness, or you're stuck in your age, like suddenly you woke up and you're like, oh my gosh, this is very alien for me. Or maybe you're younger and you think, I'm very alien because I want to get out there and be part of something exciting, but I'm, everybody says I can't. So t- turn to someone, and I just want you to share for a minute about, is there an area where you feel like You just, you're longing for home. (laughs) All right. Anybody, some people shout out an, an area where you have felt or might feel alien or some displacement. You're all right at home. Anybody? Someone let me know, where is an area where you have felt or you have a challenge of feeling displaced? Work. 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 Awesome. Yes. Amen. Walking home with stuff in your hand because you feel physically like challenged in that, Yep, I know. I Have a hard time getting out of bed sometimes. Yes, Adrian. Oh, and you're physically in sickness because you have diabetes. Oh, your diet—you're really limited in your diet. Yep, yep, feel really restricted. One more. What? In a broken in broken relationships. Yeah, I want to just say too. You know, a really common one is you know. Do you feel alone in a crowd? Do you feel alone in your marriage? You know. I just want you to know you're not alone in that aloneness. Um, Do you know what you're supposed to do but can't do it? Uh, Are you stuck because you don't know what to do? And if you feel in any of these areas a lost sense of home, then what are you supposed to do with that? What are you supposed to do now if you're an alien? If you feel like you're in a land of exile, what then? Well, God has a surprisingly good idea about that. And we're gonna look at that. Um, If you felt like there's some area where you had this sense of displacement, then today's scripture from Jeremiah 29 is going to be really helpful for you. Um, It's a letter that the prophet Jeremiah wrote to the exiles uh, from Judah uh, because in the sixth century BC, thousands of Jews were deported to Babylon en masse And it was the capital city of um, their captor, King Nebuchadnezzar. And Jeremiah writes to them to give them a very specific approach and a strategy for their breakthrough in that place of exile. Uh, Before we read that, I want to just give you a really short little historical setup for it. It's it's kind of interesting and I like it, so I'm going to read it. Um, So Babylon, they were sent to Babylon. Babylon was a lot like Chicago. It was big. Now, when we lived in Chicago in 1991, Chicago had about almost 3 million people. Well, Babylon was probably the first city in the world to reach over 200,000 people. And it was about 200,000 people when the Jews were sent there. Um, it's an important city. Um, it Just like Chicago, it had lots of building. You've heard of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon? They were in Babylon. And... Um, they had, um, it was called the jewel of the ancient world. Very exciting in some ways, unless you're a captive, pretty exciting central place to be. Now, how did this deal go down? How did this whole exile thing happen? Well, King Nebuchadnezzar used to use this very clever strategy when he conquered a people in order to pacify them and keep everything nice and moving slowly. He would just take a whole bunch of them and bring them into his city. That's how he kind of kept the peace. If they would, so, The Jews would refuse to pay tribute and they kind of rebelled against him. So he he just, as punishment, but also to keep things flowing, he just brought thousands of them uh, into his city. Um, Now, that's the political kind of way of how it happened. But there's also a God backstory, because there's always a God backstory in the things that happen in life. And from the perspective of Jeremiah the prophet, this is what happened the Jews uh, had drifted in their faith and they had begun to worship false gods and they worshiped these false gods in really horrific ways, like no children in the crowd. So they would sacrifice children, you know, to the false god, Molech. And they were repeated, repeatedly unrepentant on this. Um, finally, uh, after his warnings were ignored, um, that Jerusalem did fall and Nebuchadnezzar came in and did his thing. Um, but even in that, Jeremiah um, said, you guys are getting these consequences, but God is still with you and he has a plan for you. So that's what we're gonna read uh, going forward. I think it's up there. Oh, that's the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, okay. So this is from Jeremiah 29, one to nine. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Blah, 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 blah. He entrusted the letter to Elisa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And it said... This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And here's, here are his instructions. Super interesting. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I've not sent them declares the lord and just explanation that last bit there were some prophets who were saying to them it's going to be quick you're going to be home in two in two years so don't invest but jeremiah was saying no the lord said you're going to be here for quite some time and this is what you need to do so i want to share with you from this passage and from some of my own life five tips to survive a zombie apocalypse Oh, wait, wait, wait. that's not right. I did have that slide. Five tips to thrive in your exile. Do we have that up there? There we go, okay. Tip number one, don't burn your bridges. Sometimes in a painful situation, we just want closure as fast as we can. It's, It's just very natural. We want to conserve our resources And we can use our words, our statements to just kind of cut it off. So it doesn't hurt so much anymore. Amen? Yeah. Uh, We sever relationships, we quit tasks or jobs, we run away. We want to move away and we end up sabotaging our own efforts when we do that. Or in a kind of more subtle way, we can even burn our bridges through adopting an unhelpful attitude like an attitude of complaint. We just entrench ourselves in a place where we free ourselves from having to do anything but kind of complain about it. Now, the Jews are told to do the opposite. Um, They're told to uh, stay involved, get engaged, um, don't run, but face this situation head on. And that's what I want to say. The Lord wants to say to you, whatever place of exile you're in, resist the temptation to burn that bridge. Some of you, you think about leaving prematurely that work situation or that marriage or that church. Not this church, of course, but that church. Um, when, when we live in Chicago, I tried so hard. I tried so hard to move out of Hyde Park I I went several times to the north side and, you know, made appointments with agents to see apartments. They were so nice. They were so safe. They were so clean. But I continually felt a check. Like, no, no, not for you. Um, And it's pretty interesting. Eventually, I had a prophetic dream. I didn't know it was a prophetic dream. I just thought it was a crazy dream. And uh, uh, to Involving an old employer's uh, house. It had, in the dream, it had a ballroom and there were fur coats in it. But it encouraged me, oh, I should go visit Vicky and see if she'd like to go see the play I'm in. So I went to go see her. And after I talked with her, she said, oh, by the way, would you be interested in renting our third floor apartment? It has a ballroom in it. She took me upstairs. It was like, 40 feet wide, 26 feet deep, and she showed me their storage closets that had all their family, a fairly wealthy family, of party costumes and fur coats. So, if I had burned my bridges, I would have missed that. That was the room in which we planted the church, that we accidentally planted when we were there, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I remember very specifically one day, God said to me this funny thing. I don't hear him all the time, like my husband hears him all the time. I hear him differently all the time. He tells me funny things. But God said to me very clearly, don't curse this city. Now, why do you think God would need to tell me, don't curse the city? Because I was in a position where I could very easily curse that city. I was not having a fun time in life. But because he told me that early, I had at least a good sense to zip my lip and try to have an attitude of support for the city. Like, okay, nice dumpsters, nice traffic. No, I kept an open mind and I was able, I think he only got really mad once in the seven years that we were there about the city and I got to love that city By the time we left, through a number of different things, I felt like it was my city. It was my city. I knew where everything was. I was, I felt very comfortable. I could, I learned how to drive stick shift when I was there and I learned how to like, you know, back in, reverse. I'm a really good parallel parker because I live in Chicago. Um, But it's important not to burn the bridges because you might need them. God might have a plan for that bridge and it's important, with your words, not to poison the water that he might be providing for you to drink. So I want to encourage you, it's, it's God's kindness to you to say, don't burn your bridges, keep your words in a place of blessing. Number two, second tip for a breakthrough in exile. first one was don't burn your bridges. Second one is grieve purely. When you're in exile, You can be sad, you'll be sad a lot. When you feel displaced, you will need to do something with the pain. I spent a lot of tears. Jordan spent a lot of tears in our seven years that we spent there. Learn how to have a good cry. Gentlemen, learn how to have a good cry. I want to share with you, um, um, Elijah Yip was kind enough to share uh, um, an experience he had recently. Uh, in which he had discovered… Thank you, Elijah, wherever you are for this. Thank you, Elijah. Elijah is one of our amazing uh, veteran um, ministry leaders. He and his family have poured in so much into ministry, both in the church and in the workplace. He's a smart guy. He's a lawyer. You know, he's a good planner. But Elijah um, had discovered uh, that he was feeling blocked because of deep wounds of disappointment in his work life and in his ministry life. And he didn't know how to handle them. He was having just hard time making progress. Um, And he said, I like this, he said, um, he had been covering them over with generic declarations that God is good. That's really good, I'm a worshiper, say God is good. But sometimes you just need to say, God, this hurts. This hurts. And he said to me, uh, he wrote to me, uh, this morning, when the disappointments bubbled to the surface in prayer, I let it flow unrestrained. I wept. I told God how much it hurt to not see the fruit, to feel like it was all a waste. Now I know those are lies, but there was something cathartic about owning up to my feelings. It was necessary to get the disappointment out before I could earnestly internalize the truth that God's not a stingy taskmaster who's withholding fruitfulness. I like this. It's kind of like draining the pus out of a blister so it can heal. Yeah. So there is a place. I'm gonna just say in this church, you guys, you have permission to be sad. You have permission to grieve and we are going to be with you. We're gonna be for one another We want to be a place of both rejoicing and a a safe place of earnest tears, okay? Amen? Yeah? Okay. Turn to someone next to you and say, it's okay to cry. Tell them, let it out. All right, thank you. Uh, Tip number three in five tips for breakthrough in exile. We said, uh, don't bring your bridges, grieve purely, and this one I like. Number three, there are babies in the (laughs) bathwater. Antonio, if you want to have a great conversation, talk to Antonio. He's just a fantastic listener and conversationalist. And he's like, what does that mean? I don't know what that phrase means. Let's explain that. So here's what that means. There's a saying, have you heard it? Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Okay, it means that in your hurry to get rid of the yuck, you could get carried away and carelessly lose something really important. So um, in in a place of exile or a place of a difficult time in life, the water is really dirty. You may not know what's in there. You may not see your hands. But I'm telling you, there are babies in the bathwater. God says to the Jews, in this hostile environment, I have a plan to prosper you engage intentionally. When you do that, when you engage intentionally, even though you don't know what you're doing, you're building, you're planting, you're looking, you're trying, you're stepping out, you're, you're worshiping, you're getting involved, you're serving in the church, you're stacking chairs, you're serving in kids' ministry, you're talking to your neighbor, you are going to find a baby in the bathwater. And your job is to raise that kid. Um. In Chicago, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know what was coming. There were breakthroughs coming. There were lots of babies coming. I had no idea. Um, I, there's a couple, um, a couple quick pictures here. Of, by the time we left Chicago, I had discovered a few babies. This is one of them. Um, I, Jordan was such a- he's so, Jordan, my husband's so great. He's like, don't get a boring job that's going to take all your time. Go do something fun that we can't do when we have kids. So, I auditioned for a community- um, a, a park district community theatre show. And that led to like another audition for like, a musical and then that led to signing, signing up for a talent agency. You see my first headshots, they're horrendous. I look like Narcissus Queen. It's very cute. Um, But they got better. When you start trying things, I'm telling you, you will not be good at them. Do it anyway. It will not be an ideal situation. Do it anyway! Get involved. What happened to me was I started just one thing and led to the next. By the time we left Chicago, I was a member of all three actors unions. I have been in TV, commercials, live, industrial. I've been on the Bozo show. I've been on the Bozo show. I had folded napkins at restaurant conventions. I had demonstrated Colgate toothpaste. I had, uh, uh, what else I had done? Uh, I don't remember. TV, commercials, movies, print jobs, you know. I was a foot model once. No, I was a hand model, I can't remember what it was. I was an appendage model. Um, so God prospered me in a career that I did not know was gonna end up that way. Uh, another baby that we found also started small. We were driving to that church on the north side 45 minutes and we were the old kids as we were grad students and there was no good church in where, where we live and we had that, that tiny two-door Honda Civic that could fit like four normal people and so we would of course drive like eight large Asian kids in that little Civic every week up to church. We got close, <laughs> got connected. Um, That group of kids convinced us to start a small group in our our ballroom apartment. That's what led to the planning of the Hyde Park Vineyard. That church is still there now. We went back, there it is. Uh, We went back last year for its 20th anniversary. It has a building. We're so jealous, it has a building. Um, It's multiracial. It's it's thriving. It has great relationship with the neighborhood. Uh, It's planting other churches in the city. There's probably seven or eight leaders from that church that we grew up with who are now leaders across the country and some other places, parts of the world. Um, I did not see those babies coming, but it started with, you need a ride to church? Okay. <laughs> you sure you want to sit in the back seat with four other large people? Okay. Get involved. Get um, involved. Uh, I think the last picture here is, is the day that we drove away from Chicago. Look how happy we look. Use <laughs> my spirit lifting up. Um, there is a day when your exile will end in that place where you are. But the goal is, how do you want to leave? How do you want to leave that place of exile? Do you want to leave a rich person? Or do you want to leave as someone who just made it? You want to leave rich, and God's plan for you is to leave rich. His plan is, when you leave your place of exile, is to go loaded. That's what happened with the people of the Jews, right? They left their exile having increased. He said, do not decrease. They had a lot of marital relationships. They had a lot of kids. They left with large numbers and large influence. Um, I did some extra research on how the Jews left uh, their exile. This is fascinating. Listen to this. This is crazy. After their 70 years in Babylon, they left um, with their alphabet changed. They changed their writing system. They had used the Paleo-Hebrew alphabet, and when they left Babylon, they were now using an Aramaic script, which set them up for the common tongue of most of that world. They become uh, more culturally relevant from the time they were in exile. Another thing that happened to them is they had always, previous to exile, been tied to the physical structure of the temple. For the Jews to not have the temple was like, that's the worst thing. When they left exile, they had become a people who didn't need the physical temple in order to be the people of God. It, they, uh, this, Israeli philosopher and biblical scholar Yehezkel Kaufman said, the exile is the watershed. With the exile, the religion of Israel comes to an end and Judaism begins. Their identity as a people and as a faith becomes massively flexible and transportable. And the last thing about their exile was since the time of their exile, they used to be very, you know, kind of They're a small little country, small little people group. Ever since that Babylonian exile, there have been large groups of Jews living outside of their country. Okay, there are Chinese everywhere around the world, but we're a big people, we're a big country. But there are Jews everywhere around the world and it began with the exile. God used the exile to promote, to increase. That's what he wants to do for you and for me. How am I doing Antonio? Getting close? Okay, all right. My director is talking to me. Ah, director. Good transition. Okay. Tip number four to getting your breakthrough in exile. I only got two more tips. Tip number four. Accept God's direction for your story. Learn to take direction instead of giving direction. Learn to take direction instead of giving direction. That's hard. We all have this little thing where we're like, okay, I can do that to an extent, but this is my non-negotiable. In order to be happy in life, um, I've got to be married. In order to be happy in life, I got to do that job. In order for me to live fruitfully, you know, my kid has to go to this college, or this high school in Hawaii. Um, uh, exile, the place where you are out of control, is your opportunity to discover the blessing of taking direction from God. So some of you know, um, last Friday I was like, I was on Hawaii Five-O, if you watched it on Friday night, like my face is massive. It's like huge. It's really scary. And I, I had I had, four, I had like four lines. It was really, I mean, I was super happy to be on it. I mean, actors, thousands of actors around the world are trying to be on a TV show. Okay, now I'm going to tell you something. If you want to be an actor and you want to be on TV, when you get on the set, you cannot say, oh, well, you know I'm going to say these lines instead. Or, you know, I had a really good idea. I'm going to just change the story a little bit this way. Or, I know you spent all that money in my wardrobe, but I decided I'm going with my sleep No, you would be booted off that set. If I did that, I would never work again in this town. Now, actors, we can accept that and we can accept that in many areas of our lives, we're willing to take direction in order to be in the story. How much more would we, would we benefit if we would take direction from God to be in the story that he has, which we know is going to be awesome in the end for us. Now, I'm not, it's a hard thing. It was even hard for Jesus. Jesus was on a set. I'm seeing him there in Gethsemane. And he's at the end of his story, the, the climax of the passion, his life, about to go for the final move of, he's about to be arrested and beaten and stripped and forced into an agonizing death. And he's there in the garden of Gethsemane and I just see him, he turns and he looks off camera and he says, "Um, I'm having trouble with this. Could we do something different? in the scene. And then, um, he goes back to his work. He's praying and he says again, you know, um, cut, stop tape. I am I really am having a hard time with this. You think we could try it a different way? And um, father says, no. And then one more time, Jesus says, um, this is kind of a non-negotiable for me, if you would be willing, director. Could we, I have some different ideas for this. Can we end the story a little differently? And, you know, the director just says, you know, i got to go this way. So Jesus says, I'm taking your direction. You know the story. I believe it's going to end up well. And four days later, he gets his breakthrough. He rises from the dead and we get our breakthrough. When we take direction, not only do we benefit, but everyone around us benefits. You know, I I hesitated to use this word because it's a hard word for me. The word is to submit. It's been a a curse word kind of in our culture, but I want to just say it. When we submit because we trust the director, it's going to release breakthrough that you can't get any other way. I'm telling you, you cannot get that any other way and the, the way that we went through, I know our own story in Chicago and many other, you know, there are a lot of brave people I know. A lot of you, I know your stories. There's a lot of really kick-ass brave people in this crowd and what they're brave at is they know how to take direction. They know how to say, I trust you, God. And they, and we are gonna get breakthrough because of that. So don't you back down. We'll be brave together, okay? Last tip for how to get your breakthrough in exile. Last tip. Expect that God doesn't just want to change your address, but he wants to change your access. He may not want to just change your location, your address, but he wants to transform your access to increase it. Now, what I mean by that is, um, you know, I tried, like I said, really hard to leave Hyde Park, but in the end, really, what he wanted was he wants to give me access to Hyde Park. He wants to give me access to Chicago. He wants to give me access to the world that I would get through that, and that's what happened. Um, like I said, some of you are thinking about, uh, I just want to get out of here. Gotta get out. Gotta get out of this marriage, this circumstance, this job. But there may be a whole new level of blessing and capacity and power that He wants for you right in that place. So look for it. He doesn't want to just change your address, but your access. Last year, funny story, small story. I you know, okay, it's not like, not really, but we're kind of in exile in Paloma. I mean, we're grateful for this space, but we've been praying, some of us, for God, give us a place with air conditioning and sound that doesn't have to be set every week. We feel sometimes like we're in exile here a little bit. So I was praying. I was driving off the freeway going to the office, and I said, Lord, please open up a new space for us. And I felt like he said, um, you haven't gotten the blessing yet of this place or you haven't yet given the full blessing you have for this place. So I got to the office and I said, Antonio, let's do it. Let's clean up this office. We took out six truckloads of junk. Some of you guys helped, you Wyoming guys, helped us take out six truckloads of junk. We got that carpet torn up, Juan Escobar painted the walls. It's a brand new place. And there has been, since that time, a tremendous increase of access in our church through that space. So, that's just, a, that's just a small example. Yeah? Yeah. But the biggest place of access that God wants to give you comes in verse 10 to 14 of um, our scripture. It says here, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And here it is. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. Now, to me, that is the biggest breakthrough that we could have. God is interested in, in sure, He wants to benefit us in a million ways, but He is the source, the center of everything. And when we do these things, we come, we don't burn our bridges. We grieve purely. Uh, you know, we, we invest ourselves in what's around us, even though it doesn't look really ideal. You know, when we... Um, what's the last one? Oh, when we accept his direction in our lives, what that's going to do for us is it's going to bring us face to face with him. And that's what he's after. He says, you will... Uh, seek me with your whole heart, which means he's going to return your whole heart to you. Some of us are living on like a quarter heart because we're so burnt, we're so hard, we're so bitter. He's going to use your exile to bring back all your heart so that you can bring that softness of heart to him. And he's going to be, he doesn't say, I'm going to answer your prayers only. I will be found by you. I think that's good. Does that sound good?